Talking Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leaves Podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. Nick, it's a new year. Uh, we last recorded right before Christmas there, and it was a bit of an emotional week for you. We had Andreas. Johnson, he switched from Johnson, it's now Johnson. He returned to face the Marlies this week. Adam Brooks returned to face the Marlies yesterday. How are you holding up? Man, that it was it was tough to see him back in an AHL jersey, to be honest. I mean, we call so many people Marlies legends, and there are a lot, but Andreas, I'm gonna call him Johnson because back then he was Johnson. That's fine. He was a we'll true lie. Marlies legend, like one of the best AHL performances during that championship run. Uh, always has a a nice part in my heart there. Yeah, surprised he's not in the NHL to be honest, but it's just dominating down there. But I guess we'll get to uh, the the NHL team first here. So a bit of a up and down stretch since we last recorded. A couple wins against Philly and St. Louis. I think those were pretty much expected. A weird loss to Arizona, but a big win against Colorado, and then you know a bit of, again it's been up and down. A loss overtime loss to St. Louis, a loss to Seattle that no one watched and then finally a win last night against Detroit. So what do you make of this stretch here? I know we're kind of in the dog days. Uh, any key positives or key negatives that you take away from this stretch? I think you said it best. Like these are the dog days. Um, it kind of feels like it's a bit a bit of groundhog day where um, it's 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 tough to kind of draw conclusions right now other than, you know, how line combinations are playing. Um, just because overall, you look at it, you kind of know that the Leafs this year are probably going to play Tampa Bay. Um, Boston's already has a pretty sizable lead. And then Detroit, that's who's behind uh, Tampa right now. There's a, there's a pretty big gap between them. And I just don't expect Detroit to reach them. So you're kind of playing for home ice advantage at this point, And... You know, and kind of gearing up for the trade deadline. So, yeah, they definitely haven't been playing that that kind of tight defensive hockey that they were throughout December and uh, most of November. So it's been kind of up and down. So we'll we'll see. I mean, it's tough to draw conclusions like truly at this point in the season, though. Like I don't know if you feel the same about that. Yeah, it does feel like Tampa's inevitable. Uh, I think for the last couple weeks or so, I think the big questions really been goaltending. We saw. Uh, a couple of weak performances from Samsonov. Obviously, he rebounded pretty well last night. Um, but also kind of up and down for Murray. I don't think Murray's been in the same boat. I think he's been kind of one good start, one iffy start. Obviously, he's quite bad against Seattle. Um, but for me, I'm a little bit more confident in Murray. Um, he's been more consistent throughout the year. I think the start against Seattle was more of a, uh, you know, a one-off. Whereas I think Samsonov, prior to last night, had about four straight iffy starts. So... I don't know. It's still early. Obviously, if if things really go downhill, the Leafs can make a move at the deadline. Uh, Samsonov just has a one-year commitment, but uh, we'll see what happens here against uh, the Flyers for Murray. Hopefully, they you know if if Samsonov did well last night, Murray does well tonight against Philly. Uh, everything might be good again. We'll see. But I don't know. Where's, what's your concern meter on the on the goaltending situation out of ten? Maybe like a six or seven. I mean, it's never going to be higher than an eight, regardless of who the Leafs have in net, because they're a goalie. Yeah, you're right. Like Samsonov definitely hasn't had before the Detroit game. Uh, kind of had a, a stretch of pretty rough games there. 
the Leafs just tend to win when he's in net. I mean, he's 12-3 and three this year. I know records are not a very good measure for goalies in general. The save percentage is 916. So, you know, I think the fact that they do have two goalies that are contending for that starting position is a good thing. Um, I know that there's been some talk about kind of giving the stretch to one of the goalies and kind of giving one of the goalies more um, games to try and figure out which the starter is. And I think that that's going to be figured out by itself. We're going to see one of the goalies probably um, kind of run with this position. And if, if they don't, then, I mean, you kind of just keep going with the hot hand. I don't think that's, you know, the worst problem to have. So to me, I'd say like a six or seven. I'm not too concerned with, you know, kind of the lull in their game. They were outperforming, uh, you know, their their performances earlier in the year. Um, they were really good. Like, I think they were both top five in save percentage. Samsonov was first for a little bit. So I think everyone was expecting them to drop a little bit. And if that's the drop that we just saw, then I think I'm fine with that. Yeah, I know. I think it was Jonas Siegel who tweeted out, like, they were last in save percentage since, like, December 15th. Yeah. I think that was prior to yesterday. Obviously, that's not great, but like if you just look at the overall sample, um, and this includes some some starts from Eric Schalgren, uh, but this is prior to last night's game. I tweeted out some of the Leafs' numbers for the year, and they were sixth in five on five save percentage. They were third in five on five goals against per minute. I know last night they just allowed the one, so I'm assuming that got even better. Um, so really. I think it's too early to panic. Um, and again, the Leafs didn't give up any assets for their to get these two goaltenders in the offseason. So if they did want to go out and get a... I mean, I have so many Sens fans in my mentions right now because uh, I don't know if you saw it, Nick, but the other night there was a Sens account. I think it was Locked On Senators. They, they tweeted, um, haven't heard the Leafs talking about Matt Murray lately. Um, I'm sure everything's going great, blah, blah, blah. And then... That was against Murray's performance against the Kraken. And then last night, the Kraken played Ottawa and scored eight. Oh, so, boy. I don't know. The only thing I don't get about these sense tweets is like, okay, if Matt Murray's not struggling, the Leafs are going to just go out and get a goalie. And you know who the goalie's going to be? Might be Cam Talbot because the Sens are out of it. <laughs> so it's going to be, like, I do think that's still an option. If, if things go south, it's going to be an evaluation period here for the next month or so. Uh, I wouldn't rule out the Leafs acquiring a goalie at the deadline. But it's a little bit too early for that. Um, we'll see. I think really the next month will will determine that. It could go either way. Uh, if Samsonov starts to really struggle again, maybe you go out and you get a Talbot um, and, and you send Samsonov elsewhere. Or maybe both goalies are, are looking like they did at the start of the season and, and all is good. So, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm kind of at the same boat, like a six. Not panicked yet. Uh, we've seen this is kind of the nature of goaltending where you know, sometimes the bounces don't go your way. I think there were some weak ones for both of them. Uh, Murray, especially against Seattle in particular. Uh, Samsonov had just had some weak ones throughout those four starts there. But, I don't know, we'll see if it turns around. I think uh, the team in front of them right now is looking pretty good. I uh, haven't maybe had the best competition lately outside of Colorado. But um, I do think you do expect them to win tonight against the Flyers and, and go on a bit of a winning streak here. Yeah, you hope so. I do. I would say that I think defensively the team hasn't been as good as they were, you know, kind of through November. Do you have any? And I, I know Riley came back, and you know, people are blaming it on that and whatnot. I do think that they are giving up a lot more chances when Riley is on the ice. Um, he's just a much more high event player than pretty much all the other defensemen the Leafs have, to the exception of maybe Sandine. 
But Sandy Lilligren, they've just been pretty good defensively as well this year. So do you have any conclusions at all about, you know, the, the team defensively right now? Do you think it's just kind of a, a rough patch they're hitting? Or do you think this is more closer to what this team is defensively? Uh, I actually think, so with regards to Riley, obviously he's taking a lot of criticism um, because when he came back, the team kind of went for a, they, they went downhill defensively right when he came back. I don't know if it's necessarily all him. I mean, we can definitely debate the extension, whether that seven and a half would be better spent on forwards. And based on how the Leafs played with Riley out, I think there's definitely some merit to that. Um, but I do think that the question with the Riley extension was never this year. It was always down the road. Like, how is he going to perform in years four, five, six, seven? And, you know, we're just not there yet. I do think he's going to provide some surplus value this year and next year um, at that cap hit. Uh, and, you know, I, I so the numbers I have pulled up right now are since Holmberg went full-time, right? So I think that was game 17 because that's really when the lineup shifted, right? Like, that we had ever since Holmberg uh, joined – he played that one game, and then he kind of went back down or didn't play, and then he, he, he's been in the lineup about, I don't know, 18 straight games, 20 straight games. Um, since then, we've had the same four centers every time. So that's when I started looking at the numbers, um, just how they're doing over that stretch. And, and Riley's played nine games. He's over. He's close to 56% in terms of expected goals. He's doing really well in terms of goal differential, too. Hasn't been on for many goals against. Now, that's a few extra games before he got hurt included, but... I don't know. Like, I, I don't have major issues. I think we know what he is at this point. He's a good player. He's going to give a little bit back on the other end for sure, but I do think he's still a good player. Like, I, the contract is its own thing, but in terms of just his performance, you know, some people talk like he's the seventh defenseman. He's definitely not the seventh defenseman. Um, good player. Someone who tends to step up come playoff time, it seems. Um, and I do think that at the start of the season, especially when Riley was out, Mark Giordano was outstanding, and he's been on for a lot of goals lately. So I don't know if that's just bad luck. I don't know if that's, you know, just a, a, a few rough games in there combined with bad luck. But that's a guy who, you know, tough to complain with him. Like for the season as a whole, he's been outstanding. But as of late, maybe he hasn't been as great. Uh, I think Sandine Lilligren, who were outstanding when Riley was gone, they're also taking a slight step back. I don't think it's a huge cause for concern, but I do think the team will get back to where they were defensively because that's what we've seen for most of the season. Yeah, when it comes to Riley, I'm kind of in between right now. I definitely don't think he's a seventh defenseman. I don't think in a, in a healthy lineup, Riley's in the in the uh, on the team, and Riley coming back was a was a plus for the Leafs. But I think right now he is a little bit. He does stick out because of just how high event his minutes are right now. Um, there's been at least, I don't know how many games he's been back, but obviously I'm looking at the five-on-five five stats. In terms of high-danger shot attempts against, usually Riley's leading the team. So it's interesting with him because the puck luck has been pretty brutal since he's, um, you know, this year in general. Uh, he only has four primary points, but the on-ice shooting percentage has been low. The on-ice save percentage has been low. So... I do think in terms of his offensive production, because in terms of when he's on the ice, he's sixth on the team in expected goals for per 60. So the Leafs are getting scoring chances when Riley's on the ice. Uh, the points just aren't really coming right now, but I do think they are going to come. And when they do come, you know, the, the, 
chances he has against are going to start looking a little better. Like you're going to get a lot more value out of Riley. Just right now the luck isn't there. So when he is giving up those big chances, which, you know, he's kind of done it throughout his whole career, um, it looks pretty bad. So I think there's a happy medium there. Um, I think it's nice to have like a Mark Giordano on your left side. I know he's been giving up some goals lately, but I think we've seen him for after the trade deadline and through the playoffs and whatnot, I think you can rely on him when the Leafs are leading and defending leads. So they have Giordano. I think Lilligren and Sandin have been fine. So I think maybe there is a a argument to kind of notch down Riley's minutes, especially when they're winning games. But right now, I think Riley's been fine. Like you said, the expected goals for has been there. They are outchancing their um, opponents when Riley's on the ice. I just want to see him a little bit more conservative when it comes to jumping up. Um, far too many two-on-ones when he's on the ice right now. Um, obviously, there was that breakaway the other day where he was the last man back. He kind of wasn't scanning over his shoulder. And obviously, Jared McCann, former Leafs legend, goes shelf and scores. So I just would like to see him a little bit more conscientious of things like that, especially when he's the man back. So I think there's a happy medium there. Um, but... You know, when you look at Riley over his full career, this is actually one of his better defensive seasons in terms of allowing chances. So he's just compared to the rest of the the team, the you know the rest of the the Leafs, they're much better defensively now than they were earlier in their career. In the in the Leafs, uh, the Leafs have been a lot better defensively this year than those teams earlier in his career. So I think there's a happy medium there. I do think he's getting a lot of kind of criticism there. I've been tweeting out a lot of stuff about Riley as well, but I think the luck, once that luck turns around, we're going to see a lot more value. Well, so he's played five games since returning from injury. He's been on for two goals against the 5-on-5 five five in five games. Um, Lilligren in that time has been on for four, so twice as many. Giordano's been on for eight. So right now, it's not really going in the net. I think if you look at like expected goal differential, he's at 57%, doing well. It is high event minutes, though, if you're looking at you know, expected goals against. I think that'll eventually get to him. So I'd say, like, the, the luck is probably on his side right now. Um, where the in the last are. five games, you mean? Since he's returned, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. on for many goals against. But we know what he is. Like, he is going to take... Hopefully, he can clean up his game, some of those pinches, some of those mistakes. Because those might end up starting to go in. But in terms of just the Leafs getting worse defensively, or the puck starting to go in more since he got back, I think part of it's just the goaltending kind of took a nosedive as soon as he got back. Um... Not necessarily when he's on the ice, but like Giordano, um, I was going to tweet about it, I don't think I did, but Giordano for like the first, I don't know, two-thirds of the season was on for like seven goals all all season at 5-on-5, five five, right? And then the last five games he's been on for eight. So the, the his luck, Giordano's luck, and maybe part of it, his play, uh, has been a big reason for the drop-off recently. Um, the hall, the, the Giordano Hall pairing was outstanding with Riley out. Um, so we'll see if they can kind of turn things around. Obviously, have some easier games, but I think as you said, Nick, like, and I did tweet out just the, some of the metrics before. Um, so since Matthews joined the team versus this year, how they've done every season. If you look at expected goals against, so they were twenty eighth, twenty fourth, twenty fifth, eighteenth. They were tenth in the year where it was just Canadian teams. Fourth last year, seventh this year, and. Uh, last year with goals against because the goaltending was so weak they were 22nd all the way up to third this year the third best so yeah the defense is 
is way better. They're still a top 10 team in terms of expected goals. I do think that I'd like a little bit more scoring punch eventually uh, at the deadline, but when I'm looking at Toronto's defense right now, I think, as I've mentioned on previous podcasts, Nick, like if a Chikrin's available, you get a good price, sure. But I like Connor Timmons as a seventh defenseman. Uh, and to, to acquire a guy like Timmons at the deadline is probably going to be fairly expensive. Like you might be giving up a, a second. And I just don't know if you're going to have an upgrade. Like who are you taking out of this lineup, basically? I, I want Sandine to play. I want Lilligren to play. Uh, Giordano Hall have to play based on how they've, they've been with Riley out. Riley Brody are going to play, no question. So I just don't really see where the upgrade is. To me, it's it's forward and, and maybe goaltending. That's that's my number one priority. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see them training for a goaltender unless things kind of go into the the Campbell Mrazic. I think so, Sam. I think Samson could could lead that to happen in a bad month. Hmm. Well, would you, let, let's say he keeps playing poorly but the Leafs are continuing to win with him in do you think they look for a trade yeah hmm, interesting well he's had four he had four bad straight starts right so he had one good win last night so what if he, like if his next six are bad like if he's bad in the month of January I think you you don't hesitate and you're looking for for uh, a guy who can kind of push Murray for the the starter you'd say like a yeah, Talbot well you definitely need two goaltenders so I mean, it is early for this. Like, let's yeah, we'll yeah, wait. Sure. We'll wait and see. You know, it's there's no guarantee Santana's going to fall off. He might have a good month. He might just have an okay month. But if let's say he has a very bad month and he, you know, he hasn't really been great since I think the start of December around then, um, maybe end of like I, yeah, about mid December he started falling off. So if, if if it continues, if if last night was a fluke and he goes. And has a bad month. I do think they're gonna they're gonna strongly consider it because you do need two goaltenders come playoff time with between Matt Murray's health track record and you know Murray isn't you know it's not like he's had back to back strong seasons before this you know there's a chance he falls off and, and it starts to not play well um, because he has an extra year on the contract because I think he's been the better goalie to date. I do think that he'll be one of them, and then you, you kind of evaluate Samsonov. It's way too early to say they're going to get a like. There's no chance they're going to get a goaltender this week or next week, but I do think they're going to monitor that. Um, but yeah, yeah, ideally, I mean, hopefully, hopefully they just don't. We don't even get to that point, right? Hopefully he's great, and they can just focus on a forward because I don't really want a defenseman unless there's like an injury or something. Yeah, yeah, there'd have to be a pretty big injury for them to for them to look into a defenseman. I hope. I hope that's what they're, they're they're thinking there. But let's get into the forward lines here because I think with the defense, it's pretty set right now. They're all healthy. Um, the pairings in general, I think they just make sense. Like Giordano Hall, Sandy Lilligren, and of course, Riley Brody. Uh, let's get into the forward lines. Like Obviously, with the first one, I don't think you'll have too many complaints about Neilander Matthews bunting. I think at this point, it's nice to see Neilander Matthews back together. You know, it's kind of... Kind of feels like home seeing them back together, and, and them, you know, really it really gives Matthews that threat in transition because his Nylander is just probably one of the best neutral zone players in the whole league. Um, so I like him gaining the zone, finding Matthews, and then Matthews getting some space to shoot. I think Bunting has been good. I mean, he had a little bit of a slow start to the season, but I think since you know after the first month or two, he's been really really good. Um, anything to say about that top line? I think they've just been pretty solid. 
Yeah, I mean, Nylander's playing very well as of late and really all season. Uh, to me, whether it's Marner there or Nylander doesn't necessarily matter. I think they're both very, very good. I think it's more about the second line. Um, I'm not sure who fits best with Tavares. Um, we'll see. But at this point, like the way Nylander's playing, it's, he's been outstanding. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit. Bunting's been... Bunting wasn't really scoring much at 5-on-5 five five at the start of the season. He's, he's scored a lot more as of late. Um, he's really been one of their best players, I'd say, over the last 10, 15 games. Uh, and then, obviously, Matthews had a bit of a 5-on-5 five five shooting percentage drop-off at the start of the season. He's kind of back to himself. So, yeah, that line was cruising. Like I think it was like almost 10 straight games. They were over 60% expected goals at, at one point. Uh, I think they have had a, a, the odd night off. I don't think they were great against Arizona. But uh, all in all... I mean, no one was great against Seattle either, but all in all, that line's been consistent. They've been great. Um, really, whether it's Bunting, Matthews, Nylander, Bunting, Matthews, Marner, I, I, I think that line's set uh, one yeah. way or the other. Yeah, I, th- I think with going to that second line, and it's Marner, Yarncrow, and Tavares. When Yarncrow came back, um, you know, they kind of right away put him with that second line. And I think this part of the season, you know, we're in January – this is the part time when you do experiment, but it is also the time where I think those process stats are so important because you're trying out different things um, and the results can kind of be a little, can be a bit wonky. And I think that's the case with this line because just from watching them, um, I've liked the line. I think it makes sense. I think Yarn Crow is good enough in transition. I like how he connects the dots in a similar way to Kerfoot. He's a good puck chaser. He's a good puck retriever. Um, but he's got a he's a much more of a high-volume shooter, and he shoots the puck a lot more. So I think with, with a player like Marner, you want two guys that can shoot the puck and like to shoot the puck. And with a guy like Tavares, you, you want that third player in Yarncrow to be a shooter because Tavares is just so good and tight. Um, so, you know, you have those rebounds, you have those tips, things like that. So right now with that line, they are four goals for and four goals again so 50 percent in terms of goals but the process stats they're actually outplaying their opponents quite well they're at just under 60 percent in terms of expected goals the scoring chances have been on their side but the pdo is low it's low like they're getting 87 um, percent on ice save percentage and they're shooting just under nine percent as a line uh, on ice so I think they've been playing really well. I'm hoping that they stick Yarncrow on that second line for at least, you know, for more games because I do think there's more production coming. Um, I've liked the line, you know, I like it a lot better than Kerfoot. Uh, I don't expect them to try Engvall there, maybe Holmberg. So I, I would like to see Yarncrow get a, get a run at this because I do think the results are coming. Yeah, um, in terms of... so. Yarncrook at the start of the year was on the fourth line, kind of on different with different partners, and it wasn't going well. Uh, I tweeted this out just on, on uh, a few days ago, so before the St. Louis and Seattle games, before last night's game, and I just broke the season into two different halves, right? So I think they had played, uh, I believe they had played 37 games, so I just did like 19 and 18, and Yarncrook in the first half was around the 41% expected goals mark, He's now up to about, since then, he's been around the 60% or 61%. Uh, that doesn't include the last few games, so that might be a little bit off, but it is high 50s, at least. So he's been kind of night and day, his results. Obviously, he's no longer looked to drive a line. He's getting, you know, he's kind of riding shotgun with Tavares and Marner. 
Um, but yeah, his skill set's been pretty good. Like in terms of he's he's really fearless on the forecheck. He'll go to the net, which I think is a good complementary skill set for Marner. Um, I don't mind Kerfoot with Tavares, but I think Kerfoot and Marner is always a bit odd because Kerfoot's not much of a shooter. Obviously, Marner's going to be setting up his line mates to shoot. Uh, Yarncroke has a surprisingly good shot. It always surprises me. Uh, he's fearless in terms of going to the net. He's going to get it on the forecheck. He's going to cover for Tavares a little bit defensively. So, yeah, it is working. Uh, in terms of, like, when you go out and get someone at the deadline, does that mean Yarncroke goes down? We'll see. Like, we haven't really seen him with Holmberg because... Holmberg wasn't uh, on the team when Yarncroke was in the bottom six for most of those minutes. And then we'll see what happens. Like, it could be a case where if Yarncroke keeps playing well there, maybe you keep it together. Maybe the new guy drives his own line in the bottom six. We'll see. It's going to depend on who they acquire. But I do think that Yarncroke can change their plans slightly. And then also, I'm looking at Michael Bunting, and I go, okay, if he gets hurt, who could step up? I think Yarn Croak, it looks at least capable of playing top six minutes and being the complimentary guy. So it's not it's not like it's the like the most difficult position in the world, getting to play with guys like Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, Marner. But we have seen guys who haven't done it well in the past. Nick Ritchie comes to mind. Um, obviously, Joe Thornton at the start. I mean, he got off to a good start, then kind of fell apart. Uh, but Yarncroke looks at least capable of doing that. I think he could play a bottom six role too. We've seen him do it in Calgary. We've seen him do it other places. But so far, that looks like a pretty good signing. I do think I agree that he's been a bright spot as of late. I kind of look at Yarncrow and Kerfoot kind of similarly. Like they can play in multiple positions, but they also like they're not huge line drivers. Like we've seen Kerfoot in the bottom six with kind of you know inferior players and and. You know, his his expected goals is in, like, the 45%, etc. I kind of look at Yarncrow the same way. And I guess, like, neither of them are are kind of, like, demanding players in terms of getting the puck um, and, you know, really having it on their stick, playing good transition hockey, like, type like that. They are good, tra- good in transition, but not like a Pierre Engvall, where Engvall, it just feels like every line he's on, he, they're driving play, uh, despite the, the little mistakes he makes. So... I don't know. I think I think with Yarncrow, I like how they've played. I don't think he's ever going to be like you know the the line driver on that line, um, or even in a bottom six line really. But he just connects the dots. Um, do you get him in a spot to shoot? I think that he can potentially score. So I've liked that line so far. Um, I think with him and Kerfoot, I think Kerfoot's a bit better in transition, a bit better at playmaker. But Yarncrow's better at going the net, forechecking. Yeah. So it's a bit. That I will say that line hasn't been great as of late. Um, they haven't really been scoring at 5-on-5. Five five. I know Marner had a goal yesterday. was on the power play. Tavares has been more on the power play. Uh, I think I think they I think had a 5-on-5 five five goal. Yeah, he scored yesterday. Tavares. From Yarncroke, right? Yeah, 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 so I think it's Marner who doesn't have a 5-on-5 five five point in a few games. Uh, he's not really getting 5-on-5 five five shots either as of late. So we'll see. I mean, no one played well in Seattle. I don't know, I think it was that line specifically. But we'll see if they turn things around. They're obviously very good. Um, or maybe not very good, but they've been quite good. Uh, I don't I, the way the first line's playing. I don't think you want to switch Nylander back. Uh, but you mentioned Engvall, Nick, and I, I have the stats up here. So since I have the games since Holmberg joined, so it's been I'm gonna say 23 games. He's played 24, but one was you know about a couple weeks before he kind of got was a permanent fixture in the lineup. But just looking at it, so over that stretch, Engvall's around 60% expected goals. And 65% in terms of actual goals. So 
He's a player who a lot of fans get frustrated with because of his size and lack of physicality. Once you get over that, he's a pretty darn effective player, right? Because his transition skill is there. Uh, his defense in terms of his size, his reach, his speed is really tough to deal with. I find that he's often in the cycle in the offensive zone for long stretches. Doesn't always mean they're going to score or generate good chances, but he's a good time waster if nothing else when he's not scoring. I think the offense is coming there as of late. Um, I think I tweeted over the last few years he's got similar 5-on-5 numbers to Tavares in terms of goals and primary assists at 5-on-5. So he's been, I think he's a very underrated player. I think at the start of the year, we saw Camp play with Aston Reese and Obi Cabell didn't work. Um, Engvall's line was, it seems like whoever Engvall's with tends to do okay, and the one the, the line that Engvall's not with tends to have some questions. So I think he's kind of the guy that's driving play in the bottom six. Obviously, Camp is a very strong two-way center. Maybe Camp hasn't been as great as of late, but yeah, I think Engvall's been a, a bright spot, and you look at the Leafs' strong defensive play, I think he's one of their better defensive forwards. The problem with Engvall is that in, in the things that we notice as people who watch a very fast hockey game in real time. Um, in terms of memorable things, like Engvall's not going to be doing those memorable things like a big hit or a block shot or you know many goals when he's on the ice. Like Those are the things that we tend to remember when we're watching games in real time. Um, but Engvall sometimes does do the things that are memorable on the other end. A silly turnover, um, a flyby like on the forecheck where he... You know, if, it, if he does steal the puck, then it looks great. But usually we forget this anyway. So, but you're right. Like, I think Engvall has been good. A um, few shifts yesterday where he, I think he, by my eye, he had like two or three takeaways, like within like a couple shifts. Like he was excellent last night. I would like to see, I, I want to get your, your opinion on the line combinations in general right now. Um, but I do think Engvall has been a bright spot in the, bottom six he I was looking actually at his his results with Holmberg and they've played around 80 minutes together and probably a little bit more so when Holmberg first came to the Leafs um, but they've been very very good they're not playing together right now but I would like to see them back together they're just dominating play when they're together and I think their skill sets kind of complement each other especially in a bottom six role where you're playing a little bit more inferior competition and last night, they just happened to be on the ice together. And that's when they scored. The Holmberg got that goal. So um, I would like to see them back together. I don't really like the bottom six lines right now. I'll let you comment on it first. Um, but yeah, definitely Engvall has been a huge bright spot. He's top five right now in terms of shot attempts for, uh, sorry, percentage at five on five. So, you know, I guess you just want to see him clean up some of those those little mistakes but I mean at this point we've been watching Engvall for so long I think for the money that they're paying him he's definitely been worth it I would look to resign right now if they could um but he is a very underrated player yeah I want Engvall with camp I think come playoff time that's going to be a line that you you want up against top competition for quite a few shifts um, I think those are two of the best defensive forwards on the team, so it makes sense to pair them. They've been pretty good with Kerfoot. Had a pretty good stretch here. Uh, Engvall, like, because Camp plays more than Holmberg, I'd rather have Engvall playing more minutes with Camp than Holmberg. I think Engvall could play with Holmberg. That'd be fine. But I don't know. Like, I don't want Aston Reese moving up. I don't want Hunt moving up right now. So 
I think Sheldon Keefe's lines are the, are the exact same lines I would have, honestly, right now. Like, I, I don't have any complaints. Uh, I do think that we are going to have to ask some Ask and Reach questions soon. Like, I'm just looking at it since... Since, this is again, since Holmberg joins the last 24 games, um, Aston Reese is about 47% expected goals. Um, they've been outscored 4-10 to 10 in his minutes. And, you know, you're not expecting him to score much, and, you know, maybe there hasn't been much shooting luck, but he is one of the least talented offensive forwards in the league. Um, I really see no playmaking skill, no shooting threat, no creativity offensively you know he is kind of as advertised in terms of you know he'll he'll finish his checks on the four check i think he's been okay with dryden hunt like that that line's been okay but i look at joey anderson and he had really strong metrics only seven games it's tough to get and he didn't play many minutes so it's tough to get a huge sample but if, if it was me i would try hunt holmberg anderson see if that works but i, I think eventually whether it's Anderson, whether it's Aston Reese, the forward you get at the deadline, you're hoping that they push this player out of the lineup. Um, but then again, you might have injuries, right? So there aren't a ton of forwards on the Marlies that I would think would call up and be an upgrade, but I think Anderson's won. He had a couple goals yesterday. Uh, he had a shootout, shootout goal as well. I'd like to see a little bit more of him, but other than that, like I, I guess we'll see. I, I kind of like the Aston Reese-Holmberg hunt line a little bit. We'll see how it works. But yeah, I have questions about us and Reese. Um, yeah, that's that's probably where I am too. I, I've actually I don't mind Hunt. I think he's he's been pretty good. He's been pretty good. I, I think he's more noticeable in terms of. I just find that sometimes with Aston Reese, he's he's just chasing a lot. Like he's just chasing the game a lot, and then the Leafs end up in their own end. Um, it is low event hockey, but at the end of the day, like they're getting more outshot, they're getting outscored. So to me, even though the margins are a little bit low, I still think they're just that line's getting outplayed whenever Aston Reese is on. Hunt is a little bit more noticeable. I do notice that he's just the hits are there. I think his positioning's a little bit better. I think he has a bit more snarl than Aston Reese in general. A little um, bit more offense, I think, too. Yes. So and they're playing a little bit more like that. He just I, I just don't like them on the same line together right now. Um, they are getting out shot right now pretty bad um and then the high danger chances are, are pretty bad it's three to nine where the Leafs have three the other teams have nine so I I do think like you said on the last episode come playoff time I'm hoping that it's either or that they're not both in the lineup because to me like right now the bottom six has one line with David Camp who isn't really good offensively and then you have another line with Hunt and Aston Reese. so to me, there's just a lot of low event hockey there and just not a lot of offense. So I'm hoping that exactly like as soon as the deadline happens, if they do get a forward that's pushing out most likely Aston Reese, because I just think there's not enough offense there right now. Um, and despite it being low event hockey, that line is getting outplayed right now. So we'll, we'll see. I think for now, the lines are fine, um, but... I do think that I'd like to see some more offense. And Joey Anderson has been, you know, since I think he was fine with the Leafs, and since he went down with the Marlies, he's definitely stood out in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see though. Yeah, I, I don't see like I haven't been. In, I'm not a big Alex D's fan. Um, just don't think he's strong enough in puck battles, um, and I don't think the transitions like a leader or anything. He's fast. That's about it. 
Um, I haven't really noticed anyone else in the Marlies. Maybe Bobby McMahon. He's kind of similar McMahon. to an Aston Reese. He'd yeah. be maybe worth a shot, but yeah, I'm I'm wondering when the Aston Reese experiment's gonna end. Um, he's played pretty much every game. He has been somewhat as advertised defensively. I think that just it's gonna be a matter of you want to not lose too much defensively while also improving offensively at the deadline. Basically, um, they are. It's really nice having a lead for the Leafs when they can just roll out four lines and. You know, I trust that line defensively, but at the same time, when the Leafs are down, it feels like their bottom six can't really score. Um, the the camp line's been better offensively as of late. We've seen goals from Engelball and Kerfoot. Um, not as they didn't see much from them at five on five at the start of the year, but come playoff time, I don't want to be counting on Kerfoot and Engelball to score. I, I'd like to have, you know, I'd like to them to be like the worst scoring fourth, the worst scoring of the four lines basically. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. Like, I wouldn't mind them going out and getting someone now and, and trying them for a month, like someone cheap, like Emil Benstrom was on uh, Columbus, um, someone else like that. Like, kind of what they did with Hunt. I wouldn't mind one more of those experiments or just doing it internally and trying Anderson. But with Aston Reese, I think he's like a thirteenth forward. Where okay, if if there's injuries, you can put him in. He'll play boring hockey, probably zero zero on the scoreboard when he's on the ice. But like in terms of I don't trust him to, to go out there and, and outscore his opposition. Like we just haven't seen it. Um really no offense whatsoever. But um I wanna get to the defense here, Nick. Not I don't have much to get to. But one guy I wanted to shout out was TJ Brody. Um, when I was looking at the numbers earlier, since Riley returned he's played five games. Brody hasn't been on for a goal against, and it hasn't really been the best stretch for the Leafs in terms of defense and goaltending. So the fact you've been on for no goals against the 5-5 is pretty impressive. And then just, I was looking at the last his last 13 games, so since he came back from injury, uh, and he's doing phenomenal. So 60% in terms of expected goals, about 68% in terms of actual goal differential. He It just seems like he can play with anyone and it's successful. Um, whether he's on the left side, whether he's on the right side, uh, he's going to play strong defensive hockey. He's a really strong stick-on-stick defender. Um, I think at the start of the season, I don't think he got off to an amazing start. Uh, a bit of a maybe up-and-down stretch. Obviously, his game is, is never all that flashy, so um, sometimes you don't notice him even when he's just okay. But I think as of late, uh, he's really picked up picked up his game. When Giordano Hall maybe hasn't been as great, I think Brody's been their best defenseman in the last, let's call it, 10 games, I'd say. Since he's, since he's been back from injury, I think he's probably been their best defenseman. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to TJ Brody, you just know what you're going to get, right? Like, he's just yeah. so consistent. Um, a surprising good puck carrier whenever he does whenever he does kind of step up. Um, but I, I guess just because of who he's with, usually he's with Riley, who's just a much better transition player. He's usually deferring to the other player, but... Brody's just excellent, like one of the best stick-on-stick defenders I think the Leafs have had in a long time. Um, that signing there, like that might be one of the more underrated signings in, in Dubas' tenure, because that was excellent, just not having to give up anything uh, for Brody, and he's been excellent throughout his, pretty much the whole time he's been here in Toronto. Yeah, not just, also just the fit, right? Like that's exactly yeah. what they needed is a a shutdown defenseman in the top four, he can play on the right side and compliment Riley. Like, how long was it before we had a competent partner for Riley? Um, we'll see what happens with the pairings. Like, I wouldn't mind experimenting more um, just to see what works and what doesn't work. But at this point, you hope Giordano Hall bounces back because they had such a 
long stretch of strong play. Um, Riley Brody, I think, is going to be Riley Brody. I mean, we've seen so much of that. I think we're comfortable. And then Sandy and Lilligren's proven that they can really beat up against top, uh, a bottom competition at least. We've seen them move up to the top four be okay as well. Um, Sandine's been excellent in the last stretch. He, mi- he missed a few games with injury, but I was just looking at his grades from the athletic. Like, he had a wicked stretch. Like, just looking at it, so he went second star, A, A, A minus, A minus, B, B plus, second star, A, A minus, A, first star, C minus, A, A minus, B minus. Like, tons of A's in there, tons of stars. I think if you look at, like, I'm just looking since Holmberg joined. Around 60% in terms of expected goals. They're dominating his minutes on the scoreboard lately. Um, Whether he's, you know, he might not be in the top four come playoff time, but he's definitely someone who I think is really, not that he was bad last year. Obviously, the Leafs are doing well in his minutes, but it seems like whenever that third pairing's on the ice right now, they're they're really playing well, and they're really taking advantage of, of bottom competition. So it's just a nice luxury to have. I think Sandy Lilligren's the second pair on most teams. The fact that they're the third pair on the Leafs is a really good sign come playoff time and, and then just right now. just Lilligren, too, up and down maybe as of late, but uh, I know he got beat in transition by Braden Shen against St. Louis, but there was a play last night in the third against Dylan Larkin, and he just, like, dares guys to try to beat him out wide, and he just puts an end to it. Like, even Larkin, one of the fastest skaters in the NHL, he, he's, he's there, he's going, okay, try to beat me on the outside. Larkin tries, cuts him off, gets the puck back. Like, it's... That that line, like, maybe it's just because it's their age, maybe it's just because how well they move the puck, but that's a really fun pair to watch. I think Lilligren, I'm pretty confident that I could call him a legit NHL top four defenseman. Um, with Sandina, I think it's... With him, he doesn't really do the noticeable things. Um, like, with Lilligren, if you know that he's a good transition defender, you can see him kind of winning pucks in transition quite often. With Sandine, it's a lot more subtle. Um, but just the results that with him on the ice, the Leafs are always in the offensive zone. They're always winning pucks in their own end and moving the puck up the ice. It just seems like good things are happening all the time. I don't know if I'm ready to call him a legit top four defenseman in the NHL just yet. But, I mean, when you look at his results throughout the seasons, I mean, it's, t- it's tough not to because every time that he does go in the top four, he does pretty good. So, um, but it's just such a nice luxury to have, like, guys on a, a under 1.5 mil who are young and can play on your bottom pair, kind of overqualified for that role in, in some ways. I think it's a nice thing. So, definitely the Leafs Ds, you know, they get a lot of criticism throughout the fan base and whatnot, and probably around the league, but it's pretty unwarranted because they've been really good at 5-on-5 five five defense this year. Yeah, I think the other thing to watch out for... Um, so obviously Lilligren and Sandine are locked up next year at the same price, but uh, in terms of, it is time, the time of year where we might start seeing extensions. Uh, I know we saw Pavelski in, in Dallas. Um, is really the one I want. Like, I think you can get him under three. We saw what Makaya went for. Obviously, if he gets, he might want to take the chance and just see what happens, but to me, if you can get him under three or even like 2.75, I'm in. I just think his penalty killing, his two-way play is great. Uh, but Justin Hall's the other one. I know everyone talks about Michael Bunting. To me, I'm not optimistic about that one. I think if I'm Michael Bunting, I'm going to see what I'm gonna get, like what offer I get. Like you get a massive offer from someone, especially on this five forward power play. He's gonna rack up tons of points. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets like a, a crazy high 
contract that looks terrible in a few years. But Engvall is interesting. I think Justin Hall, uh, even the, like Engvall and Hall take a lot of criticism from the fan base. They're not the most popular players, but Hall for around $2 million has been very valuable. And if you can get him around the same, that'd be cool as well. David Camp being the other one. It's going to be interesting, I guess, in the next month, maybe even a couple of weeks, to see who's who they lock up and, and who's heading to free agency. Yeah, I guess they will have to kind of lock up some of them um, before free agency, for sure. Or I guess before the offseason. I guess I guess if you look at it, because Kerfoot's also there, I don't know, with Bunting, I, I do think he probably stays. Uh, I am a little bit scared, I guess, of what the term would look like. I love M- Michael Bunting. I think if they can get him for a low number, I wouldn't mind if they go long-term, depending on what the clauses are. He's going to get over four, though, for sure. Even with Toronto, you think? Yeah. I don't Mm. think he's taking under four. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, that contract, if it's over four, I don't know about that. But just knowing the kind of what we have in the left wing with Robertson and Eyes, etc., it is a bit of a long shot. But I do, this management has found value before, and I think they'll be able to do it again. So, I don't know. We'll see. I I guess we could do a very early, like, predictions. Predictions are your thing, right? So we could, like, what do you think is going to happen in the off season? You know, we kind of talked about the team already. So right now, like, Kerfoot, do you think he's staying extended? I hope not. Like, I don't mind Kerfoot, but he's going to get over three again. And so I you think he's still, gone? I think so, but they also seem to like him, like, I, I say he walks. I say they'll they'll let him walk. Yeah, I say I would, that's how I would leave. Lean, yeah. yeah. Uh, Engvall. I think he stays. Like he's been he's been very good, and I think he's what they a big part of what they need in terms of two way forwards in the bottom six. But at the same time, if you're him, aren't you kind of hitting the market and just trying to prove that you're Mikhaev? Like if if Engvall has a big playoff somehow, and it's not out of the question. Like we we always see those like guys come out of nowhere in the bottom six and, and have a good playoffs. To me, if I'm him, I'm waiting and hitting the open market. But I hope the Leafs get him. Like I, I so like. To see so what's him. your prediction? I think he stays. Stays for what? Like just under three. Under three. Yeah. I'll say like two point five for like three year deal. I don't think it's going to be something long term. But that, that's again, what I'm hoping it'll, for. it'll be tough. Yeah, Camp. I think Camp, they can re-sign him. Camp is staying, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think so, too. I think, just, I don't know, it just feels like there's a relationship between him and the, the management. I think he likes Keith. I think they like the way that he's played for them. So I say he stays. You also say he stays? Yeah, a bit of a raise, but not nothing crazy. Okay, Michael Bunting? I think he's going to go. Oh, that's tough. Uh, I'll but say he stays. I, I don't know, I, we've seen this before with, like, Hyman or... Uh, even JVR way back, like I feel like they're. If you're Bunting, don't you think you can get a huge offer somewhere? Hundred percent. Like if it was me, if, if Bunting's asking for more than four, and I love Michael Bunting, he's one of my favorite players. He's asking team, for more than four, hundred percent. I'm, I, I let him walk, and I, I kind of trust. I would trust the management to find another Michael Bunting that can play with Matthews and Marner. But um, I, I'll say if he asks for more than four, I say they walk, but. I'll say that our prediction is going to be like 3.5 for like seven years. Nah, I don't see it. I don't think I, he takes that. I think, I think that's what the, uh, I think it was like Friedman or someone earlier in the year, there was some rumor that they were already trying to work on 
something like eight years or seven years for just around four mil or something like that. So I'll say they get something like that done. I think Nice is taking that spot. Sooner than I hope so too. That's what I would do. Uh, Simmons. Simmons. He's, he's on a cap friendly. He's going to be retiring, I think. <laughs> okay, Zach Asteris. Nah, he won't be back, I don't think. Okay, Dryden Hunt. Sorry. Maybe, actually. I've liked Dryden Hunt. I mean, it's been such a. It's only been five games, and he, he hasn't played that much, but so far, so good. But I guess with these guys, like, if, the problem is if they play well in Toronto, they get a lot of attention, and then they end up getting paid. And if they don't play well, you don't want them back. So I guess I would lean towards no, but. So far, like I would like him back based on what I've seen, but it's so early. Dryden Hunt might be the Colin Blackwell of the year. We'll see. Um, let's finish the UFAs, then we'll go to the RFAs. So, uh, Justin Hall. Yeah, I think he's back. I say he walks. I think, I think he'll get some more money, probably in like Edmonton or something. But um, I say he walks. Jordy Ben. Uh, I don't know. He's a defenseman. He'll he'll get he'll get one point five somewhere somehow. Now he'll yell Labushkin style. <laughs> uh, RFA's uh, Pontus Holmberg. All the RFA's are coming back. What's the uh, what's the contract? Oh, I don't know. He doesn't have much of a track record, so it's probably gonna be like I'll around like, one. Yeah, I'd say like one point two, probably for like two three years. Similar to probably lower than Lilligren and Sandine, obviously. And then uh, Timmins. Uh, probably be back, yeah, around league minimum. I don't think he's going to have much of an ARB case. No, I'd say probably around like a mil, I guess, yeah. Okay. And then Sam Sonov, last one. Uh, I'll say no, because I feel like if he plays poorly, he's they don't want him back, and if he plays well, he might price himself out. So I'll say no on that one. He might have trade value if he plays well, which would be cool. Yeah. Uh, I think um, the I think the, the fact nothing. that he's an RFA is is kind of nice, uh, especially that he's twenty five, right? So you can kind of have a little bit more flexibility in terms of what you want to do. Yeah, um, but he's an RFA for Washington, so it doesn't guarantee he'll be back. No, 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 for sure. I just mean that if they if he does have any trade value, they can trade him. Yeah. Okay. Last thing here, Nick. We got to get to it. I know you really wanted to touch on this. Dalton Varsho, your guy. I need your scouting report on Varsho. Who is Varsho? <laughs> The guy the Jays got. You I'm, I'm literally I'm literally googling him right now. Dalton Vol. Oh my goodness! Remember the trade where they got from Arizona and they gave up a top prospect in Moreno. The only trade I know from Arizona is Connor Timmins. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Let's see, catcher. I thought they had two catchers. Nah, he's he's a weird player. He's like a catcher slash center fielder, but he's just going to be center field now, pretty much. Who they have center field last year? Springer. And what's so he going to do? Springer's going to move to right field because Tioscar's gone. They traded him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Kiermaier's going to be center field. And then Varsha's going to be left field because they traded Gurriel. So it's going to be like the fastest outfield of all time. They're going to be like ridiculous defensively. Um, I think Kiermaier is one of the best defensive outfielders ever. Varsha is like one of the best defensive outfielders last year. And then Springer is a center fielder playing right. So it's going to be cool. They're going to have. Uh, if you're when you're watching Jays games in August, when you inevitably get on the bandwagon, you'll notice how fast their outfield is. Um, I'll go to a few games, but uh, on TV, yeah, that's August is when I come alive. August, yeah, you gotta 
You get the flex pack going this year. That's what I think is going to happen. I had one in 2000. I'll tell you when. 2010. And I saw some good stuff. Justin Verlander, no hitter. I was there. Yeah, that's not the Just, Jays, though. Is that Ricky Romero years? Uh, no, but I know Johnny Mack hit a, a walk-off. That was awesome. Um, probably Ricky Romero days. Yeah, Ricky Romero. Uh, those are the good days when... Uh, could just go watch them like there was there was no uh was it, they were just they were just bad back then you know there was yeah, no, I, I uh, the no expectations roster. yeah ricky Romero was on the team um i'm looking at this roster it's like casey jansen that's your guy i saw i remember we had about 15 games or whatever it was and we saw the same pitcher like maybe seven starts um i'm trying to i'm gonna pull it up right now so they had J.P. Aaron Sebia, John Buck, Edwin, but I don't think Edwin was good then. Aaron Hill, Lyle yeah. Overbay, uh, Batista, but I don't think Batista was good yet. It was probably before his breakout. Adam Lind. Uh, no, I think the year I was there, he was pretty good. Because I remember going to one of the games was uh, Roy Halladay versus, uh, it was on Canada Day. Um, and at the time, like, Halladay was really good, but Batista was really good as well. Yeah, we're going to fact check you, because I don't know if you saw the Crosby thing I tweeted, but Crosby was getting interviewed for the Winter Classic, and he said his first sporting event was Red Sox-Giants, and Mo Vaughn hit a walk-off when he was like seven or eight, and the Red Sox never played the Giants that whole decade. So Crosby was was incorrect. I'm not sure if I trust you here. Which one, on the Johnny Mac or the Bautista? The Bautista one might be wrong. I don't know if that's... Oh, no, the Johnny Mac, 100%. I'm going to find it right now. I'm going to find that right now. Who who would... Why would I ever make up a Johnny Mac walk-off home run? The guy's probably hit, like, five in his career. Home runs in general. Less than that. Oh. Yeah. I was at a couple uh, Kawasaki walk-offs. Well, one Kawasaki walk-off. Okay, wait, I found it here, so... Oh, maybe it was in high... No, yeah. Let me try and find this here. All right. Well, I expect... Let's leave it for this week, but for next week, I expect... I'm, I'm going to have... That's my homework for the week. Yeah, it's going to be 20 minutes on the 2010 Blue Jays. Oh, Varsho. Where Varsho would fit in the 2010 Blue Jays. Yeah, I expect some, I expect some great analysis from you. Uh, we'll see what happens. Don't but, hold your breath. <laughs> maybe you'll be a Jays guy this year. Maybe it'll be everything Jays. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if the fans would like that. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I think, so, for this week, obviously, uh, at least play the Flyers tonight. Should be a win, although it's a back-to-back. They have Nashville on Wednesday. They have Detroit on Thursday, another back-to-back. Boston on Saturday. Big one. What's your prediction, or what will you be happy with out of the four? Um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with six points. So three wins. Wow. Yeah. I think they're, I think, I mean, they're a good team. Yeah. I guess six is the right number. Boston's tough though. That's, it's going to be the big one, but. I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day. I was showing the five on five stats and Boston's first in a bunch of them. Best defensive team, best goaltending offense is a little bit worse than the Leafs this year, but. They are a good team. Yeah. So. They got, 
And I think they could go all in at the deadline. Like that's that's a team you go all in with, especially with Bergeron in his final years. I think Bergeron, Crosby, Ovechkin, all those teams, they're going all in at the deadline because these are like their last years, right? They know that rebuild's coming. Yeah. Trade a late first, why not? So that's that's truly when you're all in, right? Like yeah, like Bergeron's on probably one of the best contracts in the league. Two point five for Bergeron is ridiculous. Yeah, I think there's performance bonuses, but nevertheless, it's. It's ridiculous. Krejci's yeah. on a ridiculous contract. Um, they added like Lindholm and Hall, obviously, to their core in recent years. Yeah, that team's Co- phenomenal. Coyle's been good. DeBrusque has been good for them. Yeah, I think yeah. he just got hurt. Right? He did. But, yeah, he did. Yeah, but, yes. but hopefully, we, like Swayman sucks in the playoffs or something, because I think that's that's the best chance. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, April will be fun. Gonna have to go through Tampa and then probably Boston. So yeah. should be fun. Yeah, so thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see everyone next week.